Hello, everybody, uh, and Kia ora. Uh, so today we will talk about the changes uh, made to the Austro's Guide to Road Tunnels Part 2, uh, Planning, Design and Commissioning. We have almost 300 people registered for today's session, so welcome to you all, and it's great to have you with us. My name is Ekaterina, I'm a Communications Officer at Austroads, and I will be moderating today's session together with Tia Gaffney, ARP's Principal Professional Leader, Transport Safety, who will moderate the Q&A at the end of the session. So first of all, I would like to acknowledge the Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as the custodians of the land from which we are broadcasting today. I pay my respect to elders past, present and emerging. I also acknowledge the Treaty of Waitani and Maori as the regional people of New Zealand. A little bit about Austroads. Uh, we are the collective of Australasian transport and traffic agencies, and our focus is to support our member organizations to deliver an improved road transport network. So the project that we are focusing on today was delivered under the Transport Infrastructure Program, which is managed by Rose Guppy. A little bit of housekeeping. Um, so our presenters will speak for 40 minutes, and then we will have a Q&A session for 15 minutes. The report today's session is based on, and the presentation slides can be downloaded from the handout section of your sidebar, which you will find on the right-hand side of your screen. There's also a question section there, so please use it to send us your questions for the Q&A at any stage during the webinar. If you could let us know the slide number that your question relates to, that would be very helpful for us to answer your question as best as we can. Um, you can also use that same questions box to let us know if you have any technical problems but just a quick tip, um, if you lose sound or your picture freezes, the issue is most likely with your internet connection. So leaving the session, closing the browser and rejoining again via your registration link usually helps. This session is being recorded and we will let you know when recording um, is available on our website. And also if you listen to podcasts, um, you will be able to find Austroads uh, in your podcast app. Well, and it gives me great pleasure uh, to introduce our presenters for today, uh, Dr. Richard Yeo, Les Lewis and Lauren Thompson. Our first presenter is Dr. Richard Yeo. Richard has over 30 years uh, research and management experience in the road sector. He is the Chief Operating Officer for the Australian Road Research Board with oversight of national research programs covering future transport systems, transport safety, uh, future transport infrastructure, sustainability and resilience, asset management and data collection. Richard has held key roles with Austroads um, and Wake Roads, as well as in commercial private sector consulting. After Richard, we will hear from Les Lewis. Les is an independent consultant uh, with over 40, 50 years experience in road engineering and management. His experience covers all aspects of um, road engineering and in recent years uh, with an emphasis on planning and design. He has a strong management record, occupying senior management positions um, in main roads and higher consulting. And our third presenter is Lauren Thompson. Lauren is a senior systems engineer uh, with five years of experience working on major rail projects in Australia and New Zealand. She has prior experience as a risk engineer in the oil and gas industry. Through systems uh, engineering and assurance, Lauren is assisting to increase the efficiency and safety um, of the major rail projects in Australia. Um, welcome to all um, our presenters, and I will now hand over to Richard. Great, thank you, Katarina, for that uh, introduction. 
get my, my screen up. It's my pleasure to um, open the webinar with a bit of an introduction to the team for this review of the Guide to Road Tunnels Part 2. Um, we had a, a, a multidisciplinary team working on this. Our project manager was Nigel Lloyd and, and in fact supported by Nigel Casey. So Nigel Lloyd from NZTA and Nigel Casey from Transport for New South Wales. The project leader on the ARP side was Michael Ciotis, who's a very, very long-standing career in this space. So as I said, we have a collaborative multidisciplinary team led by TIA, and then we've got Anna Chevalier, Dixon, Kelly, myself, and of course the MGLA library team. The lead author was Les Lewis, and he'll present the bulk of the uh, webinar. Um, but we also had specialist input and advice from Oricon and the team there led by Tony Pegless and of course um, Lauren. Um, we, we worked with the review team, which was the Austroads Working Group, the Austroads Task Force, and of course the guides are all reviewed and signed off by Austroads Board. So the team is, is uh, very, covers all of Australia and New Zealand, representing each of the road agencies. Obviously with tunnels, there's a lot of focus in New South Wales, Victoria and Queensland, but obviously there's tunnels in South Australia and WA as well. Uh, Tony Pegasus is a representative from the Australian Tunnel Society. We also had Jeff McKernan um, from Transurban and Bob Allen from the Australian Tunnel Operators Group um, providing input, uh, as well as George Maverini, who was uh, representing Austroads Australia on the PIAC Committee on Road Tunnels. So that was the team who were doing the, the review. The presentation describes why we, why we undertook this review of the guide to part two. Um, I've already discussed the review team. And then Les will go through the results of the review in terms of the lit review, consultation, and the major areas of change for uh, the new guide. Um, and we'll discuss the changes made. There's four parts to the guide to road tunnels. And as I said, we, we undertook a review of part two, which is planning, design, and commissioning. We try to update the guides about every five years, and that enables us to address any gaps in the current document, changes that have occurred in that period. Um, there's also research that occurs uh, in time, and, and so we want to make sure that the latest research knowledge is embedded in the guide, um, and, and new developments that have occurred both locally and overseas have been incorporated. So we do very thorough lit reviews to find out uh, what the latest thinking is and, and the published information. Uh, we also engage very broadly to, to capture uh, an Austro's position on, on a range of issues, and, and these are listed here. Um, issues such as internal emergency equipment, uh, should we have that, should we not? The impact of new and emerging propulsion technologies such as electric vehicles, hybrid vehicles, and hydrogen fuel cell, hopefully in the future, near future. Um, other emerging technologies that might impact tunnel planning and design, and a big one this time was the system engineering framework uh, as it might apply to road tunnels. Uh, and Lauren will introduce that topic. Um, we did some earlier work on emergency egress signage. So we wanted to incorporate that into the guide part two and also to establish a standardized incident and crash data system for data from in and around tunnels so that we could capture that on a national Australia, New Zealand basis uh, going forward. So with that, I might hand back Ekaterina. Thank you. Yep, over to you, Liz. Perfect. 
Well, thank you very much uh, for that. I'll be uh, dealing with a few slides and then handing over to uh, Lauren. Uh, the method of our um, work was that we did a literature review, which is a published uh, document as well, undertook a kind of stakeholder consultation. And uh, then, of course, the uh, review was done by collecting comments from the stakeholders, results of the literature review, and the project team's own findings and experience was all part of the process. And the slide was published, and now we're disseminating it through this webinar. The literature review was a comprehensive um, exercise uh, where we examined reports from uh, around the world and locally. It was very comprehensive. Um, the principal sources of information were the World Road Association, formerly PIARC, the Transportation Research Board, USA, Australian Reports, and others, including uh, University of New South of Sydney, uh, RMS New South Wales, various funding conferences, that um, National Research Council of Canada were all a part of that. Stakeholder consultation, uh, there's a detailed report of that uh, available. We consulted with uh, largely with the task force, which covered all of the uh, state authorities plus New Zealand, uh, with the Australian Tunneling Society, Australian Tunneling Operate, Operating Group, uh, Park Repman, and so on. We analysed the uh, feedback and recommendations and uh, the detailed responses of those uh, contributors are included in the appendices to the report. And consideration of their response has been a significant part of the uh, development of this revised edition. <clears throat> the major areas of change to part two, well, of course, we had to include the references to part four, which was released uh, in 2019. Uh, the new section on systems engineering in chapter two, the expansion of the section on human factors including the guidance on new and emerging technologies, which is already being alluded to, uh, some additional guidance on safety and security of tunnels, more guidance on sustainability and energy efficiency, and some standardised approach to data collection for incidents in tunnels. The general updating uh, of the manual, of course, to reflect the publication of the part four in 2019. Clarify some general things like a precedence of this guide over other Australia's guides for things relating to road tunnels. All the references have been updated where necessary. There's been minor editing of the document and minor clarification of points in many sections. There's been little or no change in sections one, six, 12, 14, and 15. But we did, uh, inadvertently removed section, the section on vibration in chapter 15 in the previous edition that's been reinstated. Now I'll hand over to, uh, to Lauren to deal with the systems engineering framework.
Um, it just seems we've lost um, Lauren for a second, so she is just rejoining the session. Um, let's wait for her for a few uh, minutes. Apologies for this. Thanks, Les. I can see Lauren is getting back. It will just take us um, maybe another minute. Um, Liz, how about you um, continue with your section and then we will just get back to Lauren's uh, section and we'll talk about the systems engineering framework after you. How does that sound? Yeah, that'll be, that'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. So it's, the screen is still yeah, with sure. you. Just, yeah, let's jump to your next section. Hmm. Okay, <clears throat> so the general design requirements, uh, section three has been restructured. We modified the, the text and, uh, and expanded it to cover these things listed on the slide. Um, the passage of dangerous goods through tunnels is adjusted in accordance with the uh, Austro's uh, report, dangerous goods in tunnels, literature review and dangerous goods in tunnels application and methodology published in uh, 2019. Um, the other uh, human factors has been uh, expanded and it was, it was dealt with in chapter part three fairly detailed in a fairly detailed way but uh, a lot more has been introduced here now and providing for autonomous vehicles is really raises the question of autonomous vehicles and provides appropriate references uh, this is a developing technology and, and as advances in knowledge occur it will be included when they are available Alternative fuel vehicles that Richard has already mentioned, uh, it shows the different types of, of uh, alternative fuel vehicles. Um, the electric vehicles, plug-in hybrids and fuel cell vehicles. There's a table of um, in the manual summarizing the differences of each alternative fuel vehicle. There are significant impacts of these or can be significant impact for these alternative fuel vehicles uh, that can produce toxic and flammable gases within the confined space of the tunnel. Uh, overheating of batteries can occur um, and there's some volatility in those things. So the fire responders need to be well equipped and well trained to, to handle this uh, change. This is a new 
publishes a new section, we've always designed for safety, of course, and there's a difference between safety and security. The World Road Association uh, notes that there's a safety is described as a protection of transport infrastructure against random unintentional events such as accidents, which we've always dealt with. And security is defined as a state of relative freedom from threat or harm caused by intentional, unwanted, hostile or malicious acts, including sabotage and espionage, which is a new subject, but safety and security are intertwined inseparably. We've provided uh, significant references to uh, people to refer to in, in, this, in, in addressing this, this subject. which includes the World Road Association document in 2019, Security of Road Infrastructure, and on from the United States, National Academy of Sciences, and making transportation tunnels safe and secure. Sustainability is, some further information is given on that, um, together with the references to that, there are, while there are proven methods for assessing many of uh, these issues, a holistic approach, while desirable, has not been fully developed. And judgment is required to obtain the best balance in the circumstances of the project in question. Uh, some specific issues can be addressed, uh, assessed, but that is use of natural resources, which can favour materials with the lowest carbon footprint, recycling of materials, minimising energy consumption, that is in the production of materials, less energy intensive construction methods and operations. It is, uh, there's quite a possibility of getting a sustainable approach in the lighting, ventilation, recycling and maintenance areas. Energy efficiency, really has to be considered in terms of the long-term sustainability and the minimization of the cost of operation. The long life of tunnels uh, means that the uh, use of energy during the operation phase is probably outweighs the energy used during construction. So the main issues are in ventilation, lighting, pavement services, drainage, temperature regulation, electrical supply design. It's uh, really important that the solutions adopted during the planning and design of the tunnel are as energy efficient as possible. It's more difficult to fix it later. Some of the techniques uh, include uh, smart electricity meters, uh, renewable. We can use renewable energy sources. And there's more details on this in, in the various sections of ventilation, lighting, drainage, and electrical supply design. Smart electricity meters can provide separate power usage for ventilation and lighting or any other function considered necessary, allowing real-time monitoring, which is invaluable in energy minimization. There's not been a lot of change in the structural requirements. Um, in addition to 
the consideration of life safety addressed in the FEB process and in the fire engineering side, it's also necessary to consider the protection of the asset, the amount of damage that is sustainable, and the degree of the disruption to service that can be sustained by damage to the structural system. Uh, the approach to structural fire performance should consider the entire tunnel ground support system, not just specific indi individual elements of the tunnel support. Compliance of structural adequacy for fire resistance should therefore be assessed considering the tunnel ground support as a whole system, including all support elements, such as the rock bolt, reinforced rock arch in the roof, and any tunnel structural lighting. If you have dangerous goods in the tunnels, uh, they're, likely, they're likely to be allowed where the guidance on fire resistance levels is provided in this, in this in OSPO 2019 reference. It's important to document the methodology used in analysing the, the zone required to accept free of any excavation. But also to document the factors to be considered in any future analysis proposed to the work in the vicinity of the tunnel, recommendation on appropriate analysis methods and design limitations, and any factors to be considered should be documented. Then, if, if matters of detail, changes in geometric design and some more, more clarification. Um, Research has shown that drivers uh, experience additional stress when uh, transitioning from uh, the open road to a tunnel. And it's found they need about six seconds to adapt to the change environment of the tunnel. And that's where the six second rule comes from. Come up, explain more in the, in the document. And just clarify things like the details of design speed versus operating speed. Um, the horizontal curvature emphasise the need to provide large enough curves that you don't need super elevation and you don't need curve widening. Of course, you may need speed analysis for grades. Added that any change in lane widths, including shoulder widths and so on, should take place at least 150 to 200 metres before the entrance to the tunnel, rather than doing it right in the tunnel. There's been more guidance on stopping, emergency stopping lanes, escape routes for those in wheelchairs, uh, and further guidance on emergency access and parking. Environmental considerations, there's been further guidance on the on portal design. This, um, Diagram here is on a Japanese one, which is uh, trying to prevent narrow entries and providing a high luminance at the entrance. There's been some minor clarifications on the design of the internal interior design and uh, use of colours. These uh, in these diagrams here, the, the entrance D was seen as a as the most informative, clearly laid out as having the best guiding qualities and, and is the least dangerous. Okay. And so on there, that's to find more, more detail in the, in the document. Drainage design, really minor changes in the drainage design, and just the emphasis on, on ensuring that the system's not undersized, it's fitted, it'll go upgrade at a later date. 
new requirements to ensure accessibility of pipe work for maintenance without closure of the tunnel. Our minimum pipe diameter of main tunnel drainage to be 300 mils. And where dangerous vehicles are allowed, then frame traps should be at 30 metre spacing, not 40. Those minor changes to that section. Fire safety has been updated to reflect the effects of dangerous, uh, oh, sorry, alternative fuel vehicles. Uh, there's some discussion on handheld extinguishers. The handheld extinguishers uh, have been used to extinguish approximately 40% of tunnel fires in Australia and New Zealand. The changing uh, nature of the vehicle propulsion and you know, the alternative fuel vehicles means you have to have different fire extinguishers. It's made me more difficult to define which ones are to use, and there's some discussion as to whether the they should not be provided within the tunnel at all. However, if that were to be the case, a public education program would be needed. We've added in that emergency exits and escape routes to be provided with hands-free telephones. And uh, there's a new section on egress, signage and evacuation messaging. The update, um, the Osprey's Guide to Road Tunnels Improves Incorporating Work recently completed by the Tunnels Task Force to reflect areas of research and new developments. This included the incorporation of key outcomes from the research report, suggested good practice for road tunnel emergency egress signage. That can be downloaded free from the Osprey's website. The purpose of the study was to develop good practice guidance material for internal emergency evacuation signage to facilitate a consistent approach across Australia. Study included a review of relevant standards, available design documentation and project specifications, assessment of signage objectives in support of overall evacuation process, and development of suggested good practice for driving a consistent, efficient and safe approach to emergency egress signage. <coughs> In evacuation messaging, the appropriate signage has been recommended, signage has been identified, and, and the details are included in the document, and some of that is shown on this slide. Um, so it has incorporated the outcomes from the study I just described. Um, the study outcomes can be adopted in the design of new tunnels and considered and refurbished when the existing tunnels as appropriate. In addition, mechanical and electrical elements considered important in the context of supporting the evacuation process have been included. This is audio evacuation messaging, in particular highlighting a need for consistency between audio messages such as the public address and the radio broadcast system. Simple and concise message instructions are required as too much information may delay the commencement of the evacuation process. Also, the use of common stimuli from building evacuations, such as international signal trying to evacuate immediately, has been included. Public address system, the PA in the, in the non-incident tunnel should provide further instructions to assist evacuees to, to the designated assembly point. And the potential for alternative methods of communication to commence the evacuation process, such as SMS message, messaging, issued at tunnel occupants' plans.
has been added. Ventilation design, there's been a major change in method of assessing ventilation requirements by revised by the World Road Association, that's been incorporated. They provide a detailed method uh, for calculating emissions and provide emission factors appropriate to Australia and New Zealand for CONOX and particulate matter, as well as the appropriate factors for non-exhaust particle emissions for passenger cars light duty commercial vehicle and heavy goods vehicle. There's two approaches. One is a standard approach where based on the emission estimations for the base year and the application of different influencing factors for the year of operation. And the second method is a fleet specific approach allowing an emission calculation when the vehicle fleet data is known in detail using specific tables of emission rates for single model years. There's some research in Sydney that indicates that the new methods may underestimate emissions when diesel vehicles are a significant part of the stream. And if that were the case, then perhaps the second method could be used in those cases. Uh, some comments on alternative view vehicles, fuel vehicles, and there's a new method for assessing the redundancy and loss of jet fans in a fire, basically taken from the Huawei's England new approach. Lighting design, the major change in there is about using solid state lighting using LED technology. It does provide better and more precise control of the lighting levels in the tunnel and can tailor the lighting levels to ambient conditions and with significant energy changing changes um, in the savings at least. Um, the use of uh, pavements using light coloured material can reduce the amount of energy required as well. And some new materials have been developed uh, as discussed in the, in the document. Designed for monitoring and control. <coughs> yes, more clarifications than anything else. Some information and regulatory signs and tunnel information system. It does require the adherence to Australia's Guide to Traffic Management Class 10. Uh, we have indicated that tunnel closure is an action of last resort. Planning for that must be undertaken. Only desirable not to close the tunnel because of <coughs> major traffic issues involved. Regarded that require two, at least two channels of communication to convey messages to people in the tunnel. And the new section on standardised station vehicle incident data collection. Um, this data must be collected in a, in a in manner, manner that's uh, consistent across the country if, we, if researchers are going to have any chance of uh, comparing data from different jurisdictions and this uh, sets out the details of how to, to achieve that. Section on commissioning has been updated to in, <coughs> largely including a section on site acceptance testing and site integrated testing that's been introduced. <coughs> 
What has been emphasised, though, is that the commissioning process should not be curtailed to accommodate overruns in the construction schedule. There appears to be an easy out to do that, but that can result in long-term operating problems, which will cost a lot more to fix. <clears throat> the site acceptance um, testing is a testing performed on an individual system to verify compliance with the approved design documents and to verify installation in accordance with governing laws, regulations, codes and standards. The site integrated acceptance testing seeks to confirm that all systems function together as required to ensure proper operation of these systems. It's very necessary to have a post-opening debrief, but leave it for some months after the opening to allow any uh, teething problems to, to have been identified and be able to be resolved. And that's um, that's my own claim back. If, if, if Lauren is available, she could carry on from there. Thanks so much, Lisa. We are hoping to have Lauren back, so I'm just going to give control over to her. Um, and hope, but fingers crossed, it's all working. Yeah. Over to you, Lauren. Thank you, Katarina. Yes, looks good. Thank you. Thanks so much. And thank you, Les, um, for uh, taking over there when I had some technical issues. I really appreciate it. Um, so we will jump back to section two, um, to the systems engineering framework, and I'll um, spend about 10 minutes uh, running through, there we go, what is systems engineering? Uh, what does the framework include? So the section two of the Austroads Guides Road Tunnels part two. Why might we need a systems engineering framework? And when might you need it in, in your roles and as a user of the guide? Um, and finally, to finish off some potential benefits of systems engineering. So what is systems engineering? So systems engineering is an interdisciplinary approach um, and it's a structured approach to design, which um, transforms stakeholder needs, constraints um, and operational concepts into a project solution um, and considers the design across the full life cycle um, and yeah, I like to call it a structured approach um, to design. So through systems engineering, we focus on defining stakeholder needs and required functionality early in the development life cycle, documenting project and system requirements and client and stakeholder requirements, um, proceeding with the design then and, and verifying and validating the design and considering the full project life cycle um, and integrating all disciplines and specialty groups as a team effort. So um, systems engineering is very popular in defence and in NASA software, um, where very complex systems with lots of interfaces and moving parts um, need to work together to achieve um, a, a full system at the end of the project. Um, and now, so I work in the rail space, rail is more and more adopting systems engineering as well as we see the projects getting more complex. Um, and now road tunnels will also have a systems engineering framework to work to, which is um, exciting and um, has a lot of the similar challenges and opportunities as in the rail space, I see. So some of the key benefits of systems engineering are early in identification of inconsistencies and shortfalls, um, early identification of risk um, to both technical and project performance, um, and it's a front-end loaded process, so where you, well, uh, or, or approach where you put a lot of effort in upfront to see benefits down the line, down the, towards the end of the project. So identifying issues and risks early on in the project. 
So Les um, and Richard mentioned uh, a literature review and stakeholder workshops that we undertook. Um, so for the systems engineering framework, we conducted stakeholder workshops with a number of um, stakeholders that we expect would be using the guide. So con contractors, construction, workers, designers, government agencies. Um, and we spoke to them about what is the current state of systems engineering on your projects? Do you know what systems engineering is? And then talk to them more broadly about what, what has worked well in your projects? What are the challenges you've faced? And then sharing with them what the systems engineering framework was going to include. Ask them whether they thought the systems engineering framework uh, would be useful. And the outputs of those stakeholder workshops informed our um, section of the guide to help to provide examples and make it relevant for the road tunnel industry specifically. Um, because our literature review included sources from so the international standards and then we tried which is uh, can be applied to many different industries and then we looked at other resources as well. So for example the Federal Highway Administration which has a lot of interesting systems engineering resources for infrastructure projects um, yeah and looked at those um, and then applied all of the theory and, and wrote a guide specific to road tunnels. Out of those stakeholder workshops, we found um, a few interesting stakeholder challenges, which I thought I'd share um, briefly with you today. Um, and some of those were that the projects are scoped and developed by the civil design with the ITS and tunnel systems um, lagging behind that, which often resulted in some of those tunnel systems requirements needing to be um, reincorporated into the design. Um, Different parties managing construction and operations, potentially resulting in a tunnel that's more challenging to operate. And then following on from that, um, lack, the lack of operations and maintenance requirements. I need to carefully clarify um, requirements and, and reliance on um, team experience and what's in people's minds rather than strong process to why decisions have been made and rationale behind certain requirements, et cetera. So we aim to take all those challenges and, and address those in the standard. So now I'd like to speak quickly about what is in the standard. So we start by de developing a generic or defining a generic life cycle. And we acknowledged that um, depending on the project, uh, the jurisdiction you're working in and the project size, the life cycle of your project is likely to be different uh, in different projects. And identified a generic life cycle with the intent to um, align systems engineering activities with different stages of the life cycle. So that in your projects, you could take um, the systems engineering activities and adopt those in projects um, tailored and tailor it to your projects. So you can see we, we base this generic life cycle mostly on the Federal Highways Administration. And you can see the diagram on the screen aligning the systems engineering activities with um, the project life cycle phase or an example. So each, the systems engineering framework goes through um, different stages of, some of you might have seen the systems engineering V model or um, V life cycle before, um, identifying the stages, the different systems engineering activities through a project life cycle. So section 2.5 covers operational concepts. So that includes stakeholder needs and concept of operations, as you can see in the V model there. Um, and focuses on identifying a problem or the opportunities and considering the potential solutions that we might be able to adopt, um, which will see the full project achieving the operational concept at the end of the day. Um, so 
section 2.5 has a bit of a framework on how that might be approached. Section 2.6 is on system requirements definition and requirements management. And the requirements help to transform the stakeholder view into a realizable system. Um, and we start to, and you can see the next step after, so system requirements come after the concept of operation and lead into high level design. So a framework on defining and managing, importantly managing those requirements to make sure changes are addressed and any issues or non-conformances are addressed as well. Section 2.7 is around system architecture. So a systems architecture is a particular view of the system, which helps, um, which is important to define interfaces, your system boundary, and you might have multiple system architecture views as you work towards um, a detailed design. Um, so 2.7 provides a bit of guidance on that and, and further resources as well that you can look at if interested in developing your projects further in that. Section 2.8 is on systems integration. So acknowledging there are some other references to systems and to integration in the guide. And so we refer to those and highlight um, that this, this um, part of the B model and part of the um, framework is around combining system elements into a product or service that meets the system requirements and the design um, and the arch system architecture as well. And in section 2.9, um, we've got uh, verification and validation. Um, so verification, we um, use it to show that the system, subsystem and its components meet the system requirements and then you've got validation which is showing that the system in its operational environment meets the project purpose and objectives. And then finally there we've got um, human factors, safety um, and guidance on systems engineering outputs. So human factors and safety acknowledges um, those disciplines and um, uh, uh, analysis is very important as input into the requ project requirements and system requirements to make sure system safety and human factors are reflected in the design. And then system uh, section 12.2.12 uh, provides some guidance on some systems engineering outputs and deliverables that you might consider on your projects. All right, so we'll just jump into a brief example. So about when you might seek out systems engineering framework. So I'd like you to imagine that you're a designer working on a major road tunnels project, or maybe you'll imagine that you are yourself in your current role. And I'd like to ask you some questions uh, about that, that project that you're working on. Um, do you feel confident that you understand the operational concept, that you understand the systems users, the stakeholders and their needs clearly? Do you feel confident that your project brief will meet the operational concept and that all components of the original project brief are met with no gaps or scope creep? And finally, do you feel confident the system is safe and that interfaces and hazards have been recognised? So this slide just points out some of the sections of the systems engineering framework, section two, that you might look towards to, to get some guidance on that um, structured approach, the systems engineering approach that might help to um, provide more confidence in these areas. Um, so operational concepts as we went through, stakeholder requirements in that section, system requirements and architecture, and then you've got your verification and validation piece and safety requirements as well. 
So just to finish off, I thought I'd go through some research on some of the benefits of systems engineering. And so NASA has done some interesting research. Um, and this um, table is showing, they did some research and there's a source at the bottom of the slide if you wanted to have a look, to show that if you pick up an error early in the um, design, so at requirements or early phase drawing diagrams um, and, and um, documentation stage, it'll cost you, uh, so 250 times that if you let the design progress all the way to operations to realize a change and, and fix an error. So as systems engineering is a front-end loaded process focused on identifying errors early in the design phase, um, there's an aim to reduce the cost of recognizing project errors and the reduce the risk there. And secondly, um, this piece of research um, and the references down the bottom of the screen, which has been uh, presented by Incozi a couple of times, shows that projects that employ a higher systems engineering capability were more likely to be high performing projects compared to those that adopted a low systems engineering capability being um, with less percentage of those being high performing projects. And that was assessed among a set of, of projects, I believe in defense. And most of this research you can find online, the background as well. So happy to discuss. Um, so there's an overview of what is systems engineering, what's in the systems engineering framework and how hopefully, I, I hope it will benefit you and, and be an interesting um, resource um, and happy to answer any questions, please put them in the chat. Thank you so much. Thanks, Ekaterina. Thank you very much, Lauren, and thanks everybody. So we can all get back together for the Q&A and I will pass it over to Tia to moderate it. I'm here in the background for you guys if you need me to uh, change the slides. Thank you. All right, some lots of questions coming through, so I'll try and get to as many as we can in about 14 minutes. Um, the first question is relating to um, slide 32, which is one of Les's slides. So Les, I'll, I'll direct this one to you. It says, nuclear density gauges are widely used by CMT laboratories for on-site density measurement. With the proliferation of road tunnels in Sydney, are you now permitted to drive through tunnels with nuclear density gauges in a utility vehicle? That for me. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you can't answer know. the question, I'll throw Pardon? it to anyone. If you can't answer, I'll throw it to anyone. Yeah, I think I think the, the question is is sort of like at what 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 sort of goods can go through tunnels, and I think we'll have to follow up on that. It probably varies, um, but yeah, we'll have to to follow up and respond to that one. All right, thank you. Next we have um, related to slide 51. So I'll actually direct this one to Richard. Um, is there a process where lessons learned on a project would be sent back through um, to, I guess, the, the guide development process? So I think that's really asking, um, is there a channel where you could filter those lessons learned? Yeah, I think uh, it's a very good question because there, there are often a lot of lessons learned and we're always trying to update our guidance material to take note of those um, learnings. The, the main channels, I, I presume, are through the principal, if, if that is one of the state road or transport agencies. So each uh, task force in Australia has a representative. So if, if the project was through for a state road agency, um, transport agency, then if you find the right person to 
provide that information, then it can feed through to the task force and, and, this, and uh, then would feed into the guide update. Uh, so it's a bit of a convoluted process. Uh, if it's with an organisation like Transurban, they, they, they also have representation, um, but otherwise it, it, you'd have to pretty much direct contact Austroads, I think. Okay, thanks Richard. Um, this question, let me go back here. There's quite a lot of questions actually for you, Lauren. So I will try and filter through some of these. Um, there's some sort of questions and comments about systems engineering in general and, and how, how really does it differ from a risk sort of risk framework? Um, could you describe that? I think the, the main uh, purpose of employing systems engineering is to reduce risk um, and depends. So systems engineering is a structured approach to design, which has a focus on your scope element where you have a scope cost, um, scope cost and schedule type triangle. You might have seen that before. It has a big focus on the scope component. So um, helping a design be realized in its um, Full, as a full system at the end of the day and supporting designers um, to get to that point and also the client um, in, a, in a road tunnel project. So the risk, I think systems engineering, so systems engineering reduces risk and contributes to lowering the, lowering the risk on a project, but it has a pure focus um, on that scope side of, of your project and working towards a technical solution. And sort of a follow-up to that question, Lauren, is um, has feedback been given on the likely stage most road tunnel projects will be developed to within the systems engineering life cycle before going to tender? Sorry, are you able to repeat that question, Tia? Miss the start. Sure. Um, has feedback been given, I think, within the guidance, obviously, um, on the likely stage that most tunnel projects will be developed to within the systems engineering life cycle before going to tender? So I think, obviously, a lot of these are scoped prior to the tender, um, and I, I guess that's the question. Okay. Yeah, so it depends on, yeah, it's kind of an inf, uh, in a life cycle question. Um, it depends, I would say it depends on the project and the level that you're going to before your award to tender. But the V life cycle is intended to exist for this uh, or be relevant to the system's full life cycle. So you have different investment guidance or guide project life cycle stages at different stages in the V life cycle. So you'll, so for example, of course, your final um, testing and verification would might be occur, might be completed by a different party to that of the concept of operations and your early phase requirements development. So short answer, I think it depends on the project, um, but that the V life cycle is intended to apply to the system's full life cycle, not just the, um, you know, the project development side of it. And so you'd need to align your V life cycle with your um, project's life cycle. Hopefully that answers the question. Um, and I'm happy to take any questions offline as well and continue any discussions. I think they put my email address up there, so more than happy to have chats and get others involved as well that I know would provide lots of insight. Thanks, Lauren. Yeah, uh, the, we absolutely will answer any questions that we don't get to um, and keep them coming. Uh, we won't get to them all, but thank you for your questions.
Um, this question is for maybe Richard. Um, with respect to autonomous vehicles in tunnels, um, where are we at with respect to GPS systems, um, repeating and in, in signaling in tunnels, and particularly in long tunnels, um, to assist with you know navigation systems and yeah, it's an interesting point. Uh, obviously, as as our tunnels get longer and longer, and there's, there's tunnels, you know, ten kilometres and longer, or e even longer journeys, uh, particularly in Sydney, um, navigation doesn't work, <laughs> and and it's actually illegal to repeat GPS signals um, at the moment. My understanding is Transport Minister Wales has done some good work on this, and they've lobbied the ACMA authority to have an exemption to do some research into repeaters for signals in tunnels and, and that, that work may be underway but it, it is a, an interesting point you know autonomous vehicles if they can't operate in the tunnel the, the tunnel uh, that, that's not a not a good way to, to maintain or get the benefits from those automotive vehicles and as tunnels have a hundred year design life we, we need to be able to as early as possible design these features in where they can accommodate those new technologies so it's a work in progress I think um, yeah. Thanks, Richard. Um, uh, the next question I think is probably for Les. Um, there's a question about the design envelope, uh, and uh, this is the word hopefully means more to you than it does to me. So the design envelope in terms of features, you know, like signage and things entering into the cross section of the design envelope, is there any updated guidance on that area? Well, uh, you're trying to predict this future size of signs or something like that. Uh, I don't think uh, I don't think there's any allowance for that. Uh, the um, there is um, there is discussion about allowing for future widening of the tunnel. In other words, uh, you might have two lanes now and go to future three lanes as a means of achieving that. Um, but in terms of uh, additional signing and so on, it, it's going to have to be designed to fit in within within the envelope. Uh, I don't think there's any way of predicting that someone wants a bigger sign. Is the sign just have to be designed for the space you have available? That's, about, about, I, that's, that's as far as I can see it anyway. Thank you. Um, another question possibly for you, Les, I don't know, maybe for Richard. Um, in what way were road agencies involved in the stakeholder engagement process for this project? Uh, who, who, in, which, in what way was what? In what way were road agencies involved in the stakeholder engagement process? Well, they're all part of the task force. They all have representatives on the task force, and uh, and and they were specifically asked to provide input. There were a series of questions uh, ad, um, formulated uh, and circulated to all the all those stakeholders, or and uh, and they and some of them responded and some didn't. But uh, the the overall approach was to use the expertise of the task force, which covers all of the state road authorities and New Zealand, plus uh, 
Australian Tunneling Society, the Australian Tunneling Operators Group. Um, and uh, so I think that's the way it was done. That's described in the um, report if people want to have a look at it. Thanks, Les. Um, there's a question here. Uh, well, it's more of a comment, but I would guess it would be good to have some. We've got about four minutes left, so perhaps a little bit of a discussion on this. Um, with the increasing change, with the increasing focus on climate change and sustainability, will there eventually be a guide to eliminate the whole of life, to evaluate the whole of life solution, particularly for clients or and contracts in a tender? Um, so far, it's only based on judgment, and it is difficult for the industry to justify. Well, I think you can only say that uh, the guide will include, will, will be adjusted to include advances in technology as they occur. I think uh, the, uh, there's no way now of doing a, a completely holistic approach to that, as I've said in the, in the presentation and we await uh, those sort of developments. Uh, the, I think the track record has been, is, is demonstrated, the guide has been updated regularly and as uh, technology has, has advanced and that will continue, no doubt. Thanks, Les. Um, I, further to that, I think Richard, uh, you might know the answer to this question. Um, Sort of alternative propulsion vehicles, so you know, electric vehicles and, and other types of um, alternative propulsion would likely in the future impact tunnel ventilation um, design and operation. So, are you aware, has there been much modeling work done in this area in terms of the reduced need for ventilation? Um, and this does relate obviously to sustainability. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's an interesting point. Les, Les touched on that. Um, in, in terms of uh, ventilation design, but he, he said you really have to have um, the breakdown of the vehicles, the vehicle makeup, and and so it's how how quickly will we have EV electric vehicle take up going into the future? Because that that the more EVs we have, the less the less emissions uh, in the tunnels, and the less need for the um, ventilation system. That the, the um, Problem is you can't really if you design for it now and put the big ventilation system in you can't really take it out or I suppose you can reduce its use uh, going forward and, and therefore the energy use and therefore the emissions from that uh, the tunnel operations but uh, it, it is a I suppose a forward-looking thing and and modelling's the answer you know capturing data on the take-up of alternative propulsion energy vehicles. Uh, and how much of the fleet they make up, and, and it varies depending on what city you're in and where your tunnel's located and what, what uh, route it's on. Um, but definitely uh, having consideration of, of that change in the, the vehicle makeup and the emissions that need to be exhausted through the ventilation system is, is a key part of design and operation of tunnels. I know um, Transport for New South Wales, again, has done some really good work in this space in terms of modelling, and it'd be good to, I suppose, make that if that's not already, and make that publish so people can share that that uh, approach. But as I say, with modelling, you can always keep gathering data and improving the models going forward. Thanks, Richard. Um, sorry, Les. I'm going to note the time. I'm going to cut you guys off there. Sorry, or else I'm going to get yelled at. I'm going to hand back over to Ekaterina to, to um, end the webinar and just let everyone know that all the questions that we haven't answered, we will absolutely answer. Thank you. 
Yeah, well, guys, that's okay. Les, if you had something to sort of to uh, comment on, yeah, please go for it. We, we, yeah, we can do it. I was just going to say that the the question of reducing uh, of the the emissions re reduction has been going on for some time, and it's why in the design that it's uh, suggested that the time horizon for the design of the uh, ventilation system is is a lot less than the rest of the tunnel. In other words, you only design it for five to ten years ahead, not twenty years ahead, because we've known we've known that the emissions have been reducing for some time. And uh, and that's how it's taken into account. I think that the way Richard explained it was quite quite correct. Thanks so much. Thanks, Les. Um, well, okay, guys, uh, we have to wrap up here. Thanks so much to Lauren, Richard, Les, and uh, Tia. Uh, very interesting discussion during the Q and A. Um, great project. Uh, very interesting presentation. Uh, and I will just take a few um, seconds of your minutes of your time before we close out. Um, just a few words about our next sessions um, on our schedule. Um, so in April, we will have a session on capability building in network operations planning. Uh, then there is, uh, there is a session in May um, that will present a new book uh, on the history of world's pavements. And in June, uh, we will have a webinar to take you through uh, the design and construction guidelines for large cantilever and gantry structures. We are currently working on more sessions, so more of them are coming up. Um, check our website next week uh, for more information. Um, and as usual, um, as we close out today's uh, session, there will be a questionnaire um, on your screen. So please take a few minutes to fill it in. Let us know what you like, what you didn't like. Um, we do read it all. It really helps us to shape our future uh, webinar program. Um, and in a few days, you will receive a follow-up email with the recording um, of this session. Thanks again, everybody. Um, have a lovely day, and um, we will see you next time. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye.